Hello and welcome to the Mindful Family Business. My name is Russ Hayworth and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Martin Stepek. In each episode, we will be exploring and learning about the ancient teachings of mindfulness and how we can apply these to situations within our family business. We are also offering access to a program that takes what we speak about and applies it to your own family business. More details of that at the end of the show. But for now, take a breath, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, Martin. How are you? Hi, Ross. I am very well. I've had a lovely week, a really good week, lots of thinking coming to fruition that have been going on for a year or more. Um, and so, yeah, it's really good when you are patient and thoughtful and not rushed into things and you find that things work out. Of course, they don't always mm-hmm. all the time, but in this case, it certainly did. Yeah, and uh, I'm guessing that um, part of that is, in terms of your mindset around that is is assisted by um, mindfulness and um, mindful thinking as well. So, uh, again, a, a, a real-life example of the benefits of um, having the uh, a mindful uh, mindset. Yeah, and that's not to say that luck doesn't play a large part or bad luck doesn't <laughs> play a large part in life, but it certainly... If you are not too fraught about issues, you can leave them to linger and then see a better time to then use um, to, to make things happen rather than just forcing it through um, against probably the tide of um, the likelihood of it succeeding. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Um, some of the other topics that we have to discuss um, later in this series will um, help put some of that into context as well with, as we explore the um, Eightfold Path a little more um, later on. Um, as always with these um, shows, I think it's beneficial for us to kind of have a checkpoint as to to where we are. And we've covered um, the four noble truths or we've covered in detail three of the noble truths and the fourth is the eightfold path that we're exploring at the moment and, and the steps along um, that way uh, again just as a reminder for, for people who may be picking this up as a, a first time listen um, could, could you give us an oversight of that side of things and then we can delve into what we're going to be talking about today which is right speech or right communication sure these are effectively the summary or the shorthand that the Buddha seemingly created to help people better learn and remember um, the, the main teachings that he had. And those are the four noble truths, where truths that make you live your life better and, and more happily. And they were understanding that there's a lot of dissatisfaction and suffering in life, understanding that it comes from the mind and all our wants and all our dislikes, understand that you can deal with these things, you can overcome them, and then understand that that's the nature of life and that we can flow better through life if we do certain things and that then comes into our thinking. They, they use the word right thinking, but the word right, as we mentioned in the past, is, is a poor translation. What they really mean is appropriate, skillful, 
you know, intelligent and wise thinking. So that if you get your thinking right, then what we're coming on to just now, um, how we speak to people, how we listen to people, so right speech or appropriate speech, is is going to be better. And everything else flows from that, your decision-making, your choice about career, work, etc., all of which we'll explore in the future. But it's that understanding that how do you understand life and then how do you use this mind of ours and everything will flow from that. Mm. And one one of the things that has, um, and it may be obvious, but, but has kind of been brought to mind throughout the recordings that we've been doing on this is this sort of um, the Four Noble Truths and, and the Buddha's kind of interpretation and thinking on life is, is two and a half thousand years old. And yet it, we're looking at it today and it, it, it's, it's what I would term as right, <laughs> which given, given the context, context of what we're talking about in terms of right communication and right speech, but it, it's still relevant. It's still, there's not stuff where they've gone, well, actually, it's all been disproved and it was a, a theory that um, was, you know, interesting to think about, but it's none of it's true and it's all wrong. It, it, that sort of rigour has been applied to it and the neuroscience and some of the science around it has been looked at it and it's been proven to be right in that sense. And I, I find that fascinating that two and a half thousand years ago, this thinking happened. And, and the sort of translation of it has happened over time. And we're talking about it two and a half thousand years later, and it's still relevant, it's still right, and possibly more so today than even at that time, given you know how complex the world is today. Absolutely. And I think one of the, well, double-edged sword, I guess, but one of the great misgivings I have is that the Buddha's teachings morphed into what, looked like a, a religion when it was never really intended to be. It was intended to be a philosophical understanding of what life is actually like and a set of practices to help you live life better, you know. And um, and to, it's difficult to know, you know, because it's so far back in time, to know how accurate every teaching has been translated or, or warped or changed. But generally speaking, he got almost all the important things right. You know, he got the psychology of human beings right. He got the the ethics right, you know, that we should try not to harm anything if we can. And he got the methods right, you know, which is astonishing because he used himself as an experiment, basically, to, to try and see how do you manage your mind. And that's what two and a half thousand years later, we're still using his methods and his thinking to try and live our lives better. And that's why mindfulness has become so um, popular. It's because it works. And not many things work. You know, you talked about, you know, it's still being relevant. Freud and Jung have more or less been bypassed now because they they didn't quite gel with the reality of the human mind, except in some extreme cases. And other people like Aristotle and Socrates and Plato from the same time as the Buddha, but in Greece, are still relevant because they saw life in a very deep way and they presented thoughts about it to people. So I think he's an astonishing person. And if you treat him as a as a philosopher and as a teacher and as a 
basically a, a trainer in, in life, then he, I don't think there's many people better than him. Um, and that's mm. saying something for two and a half thousand years. I think he's still ahead of his time. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And obviously the, the teachings have been translated, as, as we've said, and, and sometimes poorly in terms of the, the language we use around it. But we're here to talk today about right speech or, or right communication. And I think it's worth just reiterating that when we're saying about right speech and right communication, we're not talking about the moral judgment of right versus wrong. It is skillful um, speech, skillful communication. Because again, I think there's a danger if you go, well, I think I'm thinking right, therefore I am right. And it's kind of, that's almost the opposite um, effect that you want to have through the mindfulness side of it is to think, well, I'm always right because I've got right thought, I've got right speech, I've got right communication. So, but, but to, to give us some uh, uh, sort of insight on the, the what form right communication would have or skillful communication, skillful speech would have, because there are people out there who are better at communicating in some respects. But that, again, to, to my mind, doesn't necessarily mean that they have the skillful communication side. They might just be better at reading out something than, than other people. So, so that help us understand what the, the theory behind those sort of right communication is. Yeah. In all of the teachings that we're talking about, the ultimate goal is to minimise harm to others, depending on circumstance. You know, if someone's attacking you with a knife, maybe the minimum harm you can do to that other person is to stab them with a knife and kill them. So it's self-defence. So you're not saying, you know, sacrifice everything, don't think about yourself. That's where the skillful part of it comes in. You need to think what under these circumstances is the best thing I can do. And when it comes to communication, that's the same. You know, I give a couple of classic examples, not from real life, but from television. So watch any episode of EastEnders and you will see not very right speech. Ball, 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 shout, 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 shout. You can't do that to me. Yes, I can. Boom, 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 boom. Slam door, slam door. Boom. No. Now, any standards usually ends up in a death or else they make up. You know, in both cases, you'd probably say, well, it wasn't really proper, proper, probably great communication. And then you flip over to one of my favourite programmes, and of course I'm biased and this will be time-bound, but, but the repair shop, when people are coming in with an object that could be deemed to be neutral, it's just a thing and it's fairly dilapidated, but the presenters of the programme who are going to look at this and repair it are incredibly sensitive to the emotional value of that thing that is being brought in to be repaired because it is family history, it's got connection, it's got emotional content to it. And therefore the presenters ask gently, what is this thing? What is the connection? They are sensitive to asking the questions that will not hurt any feelings. And they're sensitive to 
to what degree can you press or ask the person about how emotionally tied they are to this or to the people that were connected with it? And there's a, a beautiful sensitivity of understanding. And to me, it's a very mindful program. There are lots of parts of it where nothing is actually happening. They're just showing pictures of, you know, the clouds going by or, or lovely little background music, and it changes all the time, the music, but it's so soft and, and, and sensitive. And that's also right communication. That's the television director communicating emotions and feelings to us to, to, to affect us. Now, when you do it like that, what you're thinking is, I'm trying to help this other person. And that requires thought. And the thought then creates the speech. Of course, the same thing happens with email. Same thing happens online. You know, if you want examples of poor communication, go onto Twitter and Google latest news and you will get this avalanche of one-sided views, deliberate goading, um, anger in response, and all that energy and all that intelligence being dumped in a poisonous way on sometimes deliberately, politically minded, but, but often just reactive. And it is this is a human being's life and they're just tossing it in the bin as far as I can, I'm concerned and in those moments. They're just wasting precious moments getting angry about something that they can't influence and making someone else angry as well at the same time. You just think, really, is that the best you can do with this astonishing brain you know, that, that we've been given? And the two examples you use there of the, the television um, side of thing, I think any soap opera in terms of whether it's EastEnders or uh, what is it, Corrie and Emmerdale, I'm, I'm struggling to remember any others. I, I don't tend to watch too many of them. Um, but the feelings that you're left with when that happens is you can you can almost like live your life through the soaps and feel the anger and feel the despair and feel the kind of... Um, desperation that some of the characters are feeling and so that example of the communication having an impact on you emotionally and understanding what your emotions are around it compared to the repair shop which for me I find it incredibly calming to watch and although they're obviously they're in different series it doesn't really matter what episode or what series you watch on it because it's created in the same way but the impact that that communication has I'm only speaking for me personally but is I can watch something like a repair shop and it be a calming experience because of the way in which they are communicating compared to the reason I don't watch soaps is I find it infuriating and I don't I don't want to do that to myself where I sit there and find myself getting infuriated by effectively script writers do what I see as ridiculous things. But, but again, that, if we take that out of real life and say uh, around poor communication or um, non, 
um, skillful communication can have a much more adverse effect emotionally on those that we're communicating with compared to what we're calling right communication or skillful and, and thoughtful communication. And, and again, is that kind of, is that the point that the, the, the Buddha's kind of putting across is if you get this thing um, as close to right as you can, you're less likely to have a negative impact on other people and yourself as a result? Yeah, and I would just put in one wee caveat in defence of EastEnders is, you know, <laughs> it's written as fiction in order to make you feel that way, so that uh -huh. you feel empathy or anger on one side. Um, but the context I was using it in was, imagine that's real life, because those conversations happen in real life. Those arguments happen in real life, and they are thoughtless responses and reactions to people. So there's, there's that side of it. But if you step back from communication for a second and just think, what was this initially young guy trying to help us in our lives? And it was about how to be satisfied and happy without harming others as best we could and without harming ourselves. So it was to get this, what he called the middle path, that, you know, don't get too caught up in things. Don't isolate yourself away from everything and skillfully flow through life. Things will happen that are not pleasant. Things will happen that are pleasant. But what you're trying to do is, within that understanding that life is like that, it's got its ups and downs, how can you make the most of each moment through life and sometimes that is you're on your own so there's not really any communication but sometimes it's communication and can you therefore skillfully work your way through the communication you're having with someone at a particular time and it comes back down to this thing that when we come back down to when we come around to mindfulness um, as a subject we'll, we'll explore in more detail but the idea that you're only alive now the idea that you're only alive in this moment and in this moment, if you're listening to someone, then listen to them. Don't concoct reactions even before they finish speaking. Listen to them, or when you're speaking to them, think of the consequence to them about it. Think of the purpose of what you're trying to put across. Think before you speak, because what's popping up in your head might not be helpful to anyone. It might be hurtful to someone. You might be saying something sarcastic. You might be bringing back a, a bad memory out of spite to someone. And so it's this ability to almost like slow everything down and let the mind assess the mind. What's coming out here? What's going to come out? Am I listening at all? Am I even in the same room as this person that's talking to me? And I've done this loads of times. I mean, the classic example I use, and it was actually yesterday, it happened again, but it didn't happen again, but the situation was the same. In, in football, um, Braga were playing Glasgow Rangers um, in one of the European trophies, uh, um, yeah, competitions, and it was quarter-final stage. Now, as it happens, my wife and I both like football, so we were able to watch it, and we didn't have any poor communication. But in the past, um, I mean, like our day, I mean, 
Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo are astonishing players. You know, some of my favourite players with Gareth Bale and people like that. Now, if any one of them are playing and I'm watching them get the ball, I'm, all of a sudden I'm at heightened alert and I can kind of guess what they're doing from watching them for years and there's anticipation and excitement building inside you. Now, if at that point my wife isn't really watching the TV she's, and she starts saying, oh, I was speaking to Marion the other day and I'm thinking, now's not the right time. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching this. There's going to be a goal coming here. You know, I can sense it. And my wife is speaking to me and I'm kind of, my eyes going to her and going to the TV, going to her, and I'm not hearing what she's saying. Now, it doesn't matter how good the game is. It is not skillful communication to not listen to your own spouse. It's just mm. a bad idea, always. Yeah. You know? Because yeah. it always ends with, you're not listening to me, are you? Yeah. And that's that's really a horrible situation. So that, yeah, I mean, exactly. that just kind of sums it up, is you have to have your mind thinking about what's the right thing, the skillful thing, the wiser thing to do in any given situation, moment by moment by moment. I mean, there have been... Divorces because of wrong communication. There have been families that don't speak to each other for life because of wrong communication. There have been businesses that break up because of poor communication. When a change of tone, a moment's pause, allowing anger to dissipate and then saying, let's not argue over it, do you want a drink? Boom. You know, that can change everything. And this idea that every moment is an opportunity and in that opportunity you can create great ripples through the rest of your life just in a single moment, a single word, or a single moment of silence, or a single change of mind. Or you can destroy for years and years and years just through lack of skillful communication in a moment. Mm. And I think, obviously, the um, podcast we're recording is Mindfulness and the Family Business, and, and it's not difficult for us to take that into a family business scenario in terms of communication, in terms of speech, because within a family business, within any business, communication and speech is, is vital to the success of it. If you don't communicate, how does it, like, how does it function? But, but in terms of how communication and unskillful communication can result in tension and potentially conflict, and then beyond that, potentially the you know, demise of either the family or the, the business in, in that sense, there are occasions, I'm guessing, where the, you know, it, I've seen it in my work, I'm sure you've seen it in your work and, and in your own family business, perhaps, in examples where that communication hasn't perhaps been as skillful as possible and it's led to the unintended consequence of well there's a disagreement or there's a a falling out and and if we're looking at how we can sort of avoid that or how to deal with that if that comes up what are your thoughts on that side of it yeah i mean i could spend the next 10 hours <laughs> sharing or showcasing or unloading examples from my own family business uh, history um, but a couple uh, just off the top of my head I mean, firstly 
you know, wearing your other hat as, as a family business consultant, the level of skillful communication that that requires when working with a family is immensely high. And the family have to learn to also be very skilled and careful with their communication because you're entering into complex situations, you're entering into difficult situations, you're entering into sometimes confused situations where the family don't really know what they want, they don't really know where they're going, and different family members may have different visions or different ambitions, all of which is normal, but you need to work your way through that. So the skill of communication is is a very high level and that's where the families need to rise to that level. It's so important, you can't overstate it. But if you take a single example from my life, as I became a shareholder in our family business, and I don't even know the year, um, because every so often I would just be asked to sign a piece of paper. You know, And I was like 18 years old or 19 years old. I was a student. I was playing football. I was a law, you know, studying law. It, it, it was irrelevant to me. But somebody was communicating, my dad with the lawyers or the accountants or both, and the lawyers and the accountants, where was their skillful communication? Where was their thought that maybe you should actually discuss this with your children before you make these decisions about passing on shares or whatever? And it didn't happen. And that meant that then, unknown to us or running unintended for us was that we were all of a sudden a sibling group of 10 kids who were now business partners without a conversation, without a single question of, could this turn out badly? Now, the impetus was twofold, one good and one questionable. The questionable one is safe tax, safe tax. Just now there's legal loopholes, you can do it this way, that way. Um, and I would always question that the tail wagging the dog thing of tax. Um, but the second one was obviously generous. It was, we want the next generation to own this business in due course. So the intentions were reasonable and positive, but the consequences were really, really difficult. I mean, you put any 10 people together and say they're business partners, you know, that, that's going to lead to difficulties because 10 people is a lot of people. 10 people have a lot of thoughts. 10 people have a lot of different views. So that's what happened to us. We all started having different views. And of course, we all got married or had partners and we were in retail and we were big in retail. So any of the family members in the next generation could see our shop windows, could walk into a shop and they would all have views about it. And, so this multitude of perspectives and multitude of challenges and clashes started happening purely from the result of poor communication, even if it was from good intention. That's the difference between, you know, going back is right thinking and right speech, right communication. If your thinking was right, you know, your intention was right, but if your thinking about it would have been right, you would have said, hmm. Let's sit down and explore this. Let's sit down and talk about this. Give an example of good right thinking leading into to right speech. 
And it's one of the few wise things I ever did. Or maybe it was wise, I don't know now in retrospect. I declined the possibility to become the next managing director after my eldest brother. I was shortlisted after good process, good communication. But I'd gone away to Centre Parks on a holiday to mull it over with, with my wife. Um, and I came back and I said, no, for various reasons that are too long to explain just now. Um, I, I, I said, you know, count me out. Now, that was a clear process of communication as to shortlisting next generation possible um, MDs and me having good communication with my spouse and me then going back and having good communication with my eldest brother who was managing director and it was clear, it was calm, it was considered and also then made the decision a fait accompli um, for my, bro my other brother who wanted that position anyway. So the difference is stark. The first example caused a multitude, and I mean a multitude of issues and problems, some of which we are still living with today as, as family. You know, we've managed to heal and, and bring things together, but scars don't go away. So there's, and they all stem from that initial decision to give everybody shares. And um, whereas my decision led to non competition and non-aggression in the, in the years that followed my eldest brother's um, stepping back and mother um, brother coming in. Um, and it could have been bad. It could have been difficult, even more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And again, in terms of the the benefits and the, the positives that can come from um, the right thinking, the right communication, and all the other things that we're going to be covering in, in the, the in terms of the eightfold path. It it can be difficult to again when you're put into a a family situation where how you've been living and communicating and talking to each other has been learnt over you know twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years and and more. And again, going into that situation and going, well, I, okay, I'm going to be thinking in a more clear way and I'm going to be communicating in a more um, clear and, and skillful way. It, it can be a one-way street in some respects because other people might not be at the same point that, that you are. But are there any kind of practical suggestions? I, I'm trying to avoid the word tips, but kind of ideas around people who if they're they're thinking this sounds great, but in practice, communication is often two-way and it might be difficult with my spouse, my sibling, my father, my son, my daughter, my aunt, whatever the, the scenario might be. Is, is there anything you can sort of offer as um, a thought, you know, wisdom on that? Yeah, it's a great question and a very realistic one. I think the first thing I would say, as I always say, is mindfulness is hard work. This is not easy. You're, you're exactly right that from the moment we're born, we are conditioned, and part of that conditioning is how, how we communicate. And some of that's luck, some of it's in the genes, a lot of it's the culture and the family. And then it's, you communicate differently with one sibling to another sibling, and you grow up together as kids, and, and that all cements in. So... What you're trying to do is with, with right speech and right communication is look at all of that. 
and assess, and this is where the skill and the mindfulness comes in, is, is, is the way I speak to or listen to or relate to so-and-so healthy? Does it lead to good outcomes? Is it appropriate now that we're 43 and 41 rather than 9 and 7? You know, um, is, am I still doing it the wrong way um, or an inappropriate way? So that's really, really hard work. So that aside, learning to be skilled at communication, really good listening deeply without your own biases coming in, noticing your own biases before communicating, noticing your frame of mind, your mood, your emotions, are they getting in the way, are they going to help? All of that. Learning to do that will help you inordinately in your life as part of mindfulness. And that is its own reward. One thing it does do often is it points out everybody else's lack of mindfulness. And that can be frustrating at first. It can be irritating. You And also, if you get really caught up in something like mindfulness at the beginning, you can become a zealot, you know, or start to try and tell everybody else that they need to be mindful, and nobody likes hearing that. So never, ever try and tell your spouse, especially your spouse, or your siblings, or your parents, or your kids, or anyone else you love, that they should learn to be mindful. Because what you're really saying to them is, you don't think they're good enough, you know, as they are. And that might be the truth, but it's not nice to hear. <laughs> Absolutely. And that touches on what we were saying at the outset, is that when we're talking about right thinking, right intention, right thought, it's not the moral side of right or wrong. It's the skillful side. And part of that, I think, is understanding that just because this is working for me doesn't mean it's what everybody else should do. That's almost part of the, the skillful thought around it is, you know, because otherwise you do become a, a preacher around it and that can become a, a, a point of tension and conflict in itself. Yeah, and even if you do think, as I do think, that mindfulness actually would be good for almost everyone else, it's skillful not to tell that to people at the wrong time. It's it's can usually backfire enormously. Um, so I think there's that side that it can work really well to, for you, but you also have to learn that others may not be able to reciprocate in kind. And therefore you need to learn, and this is a huge part of acceptance and, and, and mindfulness and the original Buddha's teachings, is you need to learn to accept that things aren't always the way you'd like it to be. And if that includes your other family members, um, maybe poorer quality of, of listening or sort of old habits of communicating that don't help. And if you feel that it's not right to get them to change because of circumstances, then you just have to accept it. But what you do have now is you have at least you communicating better. And you have at least you understanding that this is just part of your life. It's not everything. That life is much, much richer and deeper and better than just 
the family or the business. Um, and therefore you can be soothed, if you like, by that fact. Um, quite often in the family business, you get soaked up in it completely and it, become, it becomes your EastEnders. You know, that there is nothing outside of the square, whatever EastEnders square is. Um, you know, and, but actually life is much, much bigger and, and better and broader than, than just where we are. And if you start to feel that inside yourself, then everything else comes into perspective. And so you don't really mind too much if so-and-so has a tendency to shout at a meeting. You know, you, you don't get wrapped up in it. Um, so it's, it's at, at least it's hugely helpful for you as an individual to, to develop this quality of skillful communication. Mm. Yeah, and again, we've spoken about this in other episodes about the importance of the practice of of mindfulness in terms of um, a lot of people associate the breathing exercises with it, noticing your breath on on the, the inhale and, and exhaling. Uh, and I think outside of these conversations, we've spoken before about moments of awareness and that in if you're caught in a situation where there is perhaps some less skillful communication happening and you can feel yourself kind of being taken over by some of the emotions just a simple exercise and I say simple in the sense of doing it is but having the the kind of clarity of mind to be able to go I'm just going to breathe in I'm going to breathe out I'm going to notice what's around me I'm going to understand why I'm here and what I'm here for and, and that kind of stuff can help in terms of um I don't want to say coping mechanism, that's a bit dramatic, but in terms of helping to to maintain a, a mindful approach to this, if somebody is communicating less skillfully than um, perhaps just having that moment of, of breath and a practice to, to to bring you back to that, would you, would you say that that's a useful thing? Is it is it too much to hope that that kind of becomes something that we can all develop? Or... Absolutely, 100%. Um, I can't even begin to tell you or even try to calculate the number of rows, arguments, pointless discussions, moaning, complaining, um, moments in my life that would have happened if I hadn't done that over the last 20-odd years and just... By the way, this isn't in video, so I'll close my eyes. I'm just breathing in and breathing out and calming me down and then just saying, no, let, let's not argue about it. Do you want to go out for dinner? You know, boom. Something like that is such, such a, such a, you're right, it's a very simple skill. The hard part is trying to have, be in control of your mind to do that in the first place. But it is enormously helpful and beneficial to, to be able to do that. And it's the way you get good at that is this is the idea of practice. And so first thing, not first thing in the morning, but almost first thing in the morning, almost last thing at night, I do just sit in there, look like that classic stereotype of, you know, the Buddha, eyes closed, hands together on my lap, breathing in, breathing out. And all I'm doing is practicing noticing. I'm noticing the sounds that are going by, like a car just went by. 
I'm noticing my heartbeat, maybe I'm noticing the air flowing in and it feels fresh and clear. I notice the air flowing back out, it feels nice and peaceful. I notice that my mind all of a sudden starts thinking of, yeah, when you're 19, you got offered that football trial at the university in Dublin. And it's just, oh, notice that, just let it go, boom. And so you learn the skill of not reacting to your own minds, what's popping up in your own mind, and you get better at it. And you then go for mindful walks, you know, or you go to the gym and you notice the strain on your arms as you as you use weights. You notice, you know, I'm now picking up my cup and the cup's still got warmish water in it, so I can feel the sort of tepid warm in the, the ceramic, and it feels pleasant. And it's just saying, notice, 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 notice. Use your life, use your day, use each moment, not only to live your life, but to notice that you're living your life and what that life contains in that moment. And you've got five senses and a brain to do it with. As you get better at that, then your understanding of what's going on in your mind and how that's going to influence what you say or how you're responding to what someone else is saying will grow and it will develop. It won't grow and develop, you know, I don't know, a bad example, you know, is, like you, you plant a flower, you know, a flower or or a bulb or something, and if you water it and do it properly, it will come up, you know, and there's a 99% guarantee that it will do it. It's not like that with the human brain. It's too complicated, so you'll screw up. You'll make mistakes, but just ignore the mistakes and just get on and keep doing it, and you'll get better with it over time. So your communication skills will get better over time. You'll be more patient and not and less reactive in your response to people and you'll be comfortable listening to, to other people that, will, that kind of urgency that prompting of impulse of getting things over and done with or having to do everything fast um, slowly ebbs away and you actually get more done in less time that's one of the great paradoxes of, of, of these practices is you seem to slow everything down, everything's no problem, it's all okay, it'll happen in its own time. And you look back and you think, whoa, I got an awful lot more done than normal. It's, mm. it's, it's lovely. Yeah. And again, that um, I, I guess we'll, as we evolve through and, and explore more around the elements that go into the Eightfold Path, we can then start tying them all together in, in the way that we have done a little bit today with right thought, right intention into right speech and communication. And um, next up, we've got right action uh, and activities. And uh, again, for those that are, um, as a teaser for those that want to tune in for, for that next uh, episode, what do we mean in terms of action or activities? Yeah, well, I, I was actually thinking it as you were speaking there, which probably was bad listening to me but on, on my part. But, um, <laughs> But I was thinking of, you know, my daughter is, my kids are, are wonderful young adults uh, now um, and, and were young, lo lovely young teenagers, had their issues at times. And say there was an argument or a row, which of course never happened, but let's, let's theoretically imagine this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I used my right skills and communication to ease that and 
everything then got better or was on the cusp of getting better. And then I would hopefully then go to them and just give them a cuddle. Now that's gone from right speech and communication to right action. The action is to say, okay, we've solved this. I love you as a father. Boom. No words, that's now action. And then if it was my wife, I would then go and get a glass of wine or a cup of tea or something like that. And that is action that speaks. Action communicates. Everything you do communicates something. And it's it pertains to everything. I mean, I, I write a lot, you know, write professionally and um, I think, often think with a pen and paper. I've got always pen and paper, always at hand. And that's right action to me. That's skillful action. Because what is that? What is the purpose of that? The purpose for me is thoughts arise. Often junk. And that's right thinking to notice it and let it go. Right mindfulness to do that. But sometimes, even in this wee brain of mine, something good arises. An interesting idea or a line for a poem or a memory about my grandfather or my grandmother who I never met, but a thought about them does. And the right action, skillful action, is not to think that my brain will remember that in five minutes' time, but just to undo the pen, put it on the other side and write it down. Now... That might sound simple, but some of the things that I have had pop in my head and I use my mindfulness to note it, and my mindfulness then assesses that it's a good idea, a good thought, maybe lead to something important or helpful, and I write it down, then some of the things I've done in the past there have proven to become some of the things I am most pleased with in my life. And so it's it's that connectivity again. The right thinking, which has been nurtured over years so that these thoughts are more likely to pop up rather than rubbish thoughts or hurtful thoughts or angry thoughts. So the thinking has been nurtured. And then the mindfulness to notice my own thinking has been nurtured. And then the ability to then do the action that will make something positive more likely to happen. I mean, a classic example of it, not related financially or business-wise, but um, I interviewed my dad about his life um, in the last part of his life to get all the story of him and a remarkable story um, of, of loss and recovery. And I came home driving with a thought in my head, Janina, I love you my grandmother's name, because my dad had just told me about the last time he saw his mother alive and she died of starvation. Um, and I came home and it was in my mind clear enough that I had something that needed to come out of my mind. So I said to my wife, give me some time. Um, sorry, I've got something I need to do. And I wrote down, Janina, I love you. And then 31 other lines came out. Um, and it was a poem. And it's a poem that I feel expresses a love for somebody you never met. Now that's, the poem might be rubbish, 
that's an opinion, that's a, a view. But people have cried hearing that, you know, when you read that, people who never knew me, people who never knew Poland, anything. No, none of that. Now, what is that? That is right action. It's an understanding that there's something there. And if you write it down, something good might result. And it did. And that was written now in 2002. It's now 20 years old. And maybe a thousand people have read it. And my children will have it if they want it for maybe the next 40 or 50 years. And it will be about their great-grandmother who they never met, who died of hunger and exhaustion. And, and, and about their dad, who was this daft guy who wrote these sort of things and that wasn't that a good thing that he wrote. So that's that to me is when we move into right action is right action is the result of right thinking. And right thinking has to be checked to make sure it is right and that's right mindfulness and that's how it all threads uh -huh. together. Well, I very much look forward to um, exploring that in um, a bit more depth in our next conversation. Um, but for now, I think that's a, a really good positive point to um, draw today's uh, conversation to a conclusion. And, and all I can say is thank you again for, for sharing, for sharing your knowledge, for sharing the stories that, that bring it to life as well. Um, I find it fascinating and very enjoyable myself. So if, if nothing else, we've achieved that today. Thank you. My, my pleasure, as always. It is our firm belief that it is healthy for your business, your family as a whole, and each individual involved to learn how to develop a fresh, more objective perspective of the situation each of you is in, so that clearer aims, hopes, and visions can be explored together in a positive, respectful, and constructive manner. Martin and I have created the Mindful Family Business Programme to help you with this. If you'd like to find out more about this, please head to familybusinesspartnership.com forward slash mindful for more information. Or you can email me, russ at familybusinesspartnership.com. We really hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please feel free to share it with your family. And you can even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, take care.